You open up to Luke chapter 9. Pick up where we ended last week. We've been in a series on trying to understand more clearly what it means to be a follower of Jesus. A follower of Jesus. Very intentional choice of words there. Uh, because, like we've said over the last few months together, to simply say I'm a Christian in, in our day and age, even in, within the church, you know, that can be sort of a, a, honestly, a very vague and nebulous term, uh, depending on your, your, your background. Uh, but to say I'm a follower of Jesus has made it very, very practical, has brought it home, has, has really been challenging to myself personally, to, to many of you have, have, as we've chatted about, man, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? And we talked about that relationship between a rabbi and his disciples and the prayer that was very common in that day and age. It says, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. Right. Just this powerful word picture we saw several weeks ago that that disciples, when they followed their rabbis around, it was not just for more intellectual knowledge. It was not just for more head knowledge. When a disciple followed his rabbi, he wanted to be so close to his rabbi, he would walk like his rabbi. He would begin to talk like his rabbi. He would have the same mannerisms as his rabbi. He wanted to be his rabbi. It was not a well, I'm going to go listen and then I'm going to go do my own thing and I'm going to try to incorporate a little bit of yours into my life. It was, no, Rabbi, you are my life. And so that prayer came out of that. Uh, may you be covered in the dust of your Rabbi. And, 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 and may you follow, in our, in our application, may you follow Jesus so closely that if he walked a dusty path, you would be covered in his dust. Did you do that this week? Did you, did, you, did you walk so closely to Jesus this week that figuratively, figuratively you would have been covered in, the, in his dust? Did you do that this week? How'd you do in that following? In that following? It's, it's a very real, it's a very practical thing. This is not theory. This is not good intentions. This is not very vague suggestions. Jesus told his first disciples to what? When he called them, follow me, follow me. And so we understand that following Jesus to this relational degree is not just for the super committed, right? The call to Jesus begins from day one. From day one. Now, unfortunately, what has happened in the church is we sort of created these false compartments and sort of these false sort of stages where we communicate. Well, gosh, thanks for saying that prayer and filling out the card. Now, just sit there. And we're just going to start talking at you. And here's all this stuff I want you to learn. But you're not ready to serve yet. And you don't have to give just yet. And baptism, well, that's sort of optional when you feel like it. So you're not embarrassed. You see how even in the church, trying to be sensitive, 
we've inadvertently created spectators. We've been inadvertently created passivity. We've inadvertently created a me-centered culture. A me-centered culture. I celebrated, if you were at the Mary DeVito's memorial several weeks ago, a couple months ago, you know that uh, there was a tremendous testimony uh, of Mary DeVito. She's in her mid-70s, I believe. And, and over at First Baptist, before they baptize someone, they, they film a video and they show that testimony video. And at Mary DeVito's memorial, they showed her baptismal testimony video. And here's Mary DeVito in her mid-70s telling us to get off the fence. God had spoken to her and she was so open and, and was listening to Jesus speak to her that in her mid-70s, she responded in obedience and got baptized. And, and, and I love that because she was in there. She was listening at 70-something. She was listening, obeying, right? And, and so part of the challenge with this series is that for the church, it's challenging what you've learned in the church. It's challenging what you sort of picked up, what you caught, right? Every time we, 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 we come around, every once in a while we say, we're doing a baptism. If you haven't been baptized, you should get baptized. And yet people don't. And, 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 and take this the right way. The question is, why aren't you? And part of that is our fault. Because when someone becomes a believer in Christ, when can or should they be baptized? That second. That second. And yet what happens is, well, it's got to fit the calendar. And I think we do baptisms once a quarter or every other Right. And so suddenly we calendar baptisms when the truth is, if you're a believer in Christ, you should seal the deal, make that outward profession and go get baptized. Amen. It doesn't have to be here. We could take you down and dunk you at the beach. We can go to the swimming pool. Right. It's just getting in. It's doing. It's doing. I read an article uh, that was talking about it it was referring to back in the 60s, 70s. When uh, communism was kind of making a push here and, and they were trying to recruit people to pass out literature on street corners. And, and the article was commenting about how communists do it versus how Christians do it. You know how, how this article is saying, you know how the communists at that, at that era would get their recruits in? You know what they would do? If someone expressed an interest to join the communist party, you know what they would do immediately? Here's a stack of papers. Go hand them out right now. They would put them on the front lines to go do. To go do. Put yourself out there. You say you want to be one of us, here you go. Go hand this out. In the church, we sort of became passive. And, and with the best of intentions, we want, to, we want to teach and teach and teach and teach and teach. And, and, and unfortunately, what, what we communicate is we'll just sit there and learn and learn and learn and learn and learn and make it more school and school and school and school when really Jesus says, no, come follow me. Come follow me. Who did who who are the first people he called? You know, fishermen, blue collar. The blue collars. 
right? He said, just come. Ah, well, you'll learn as we go. You, you'll learn. Come on. Come on. Anyone ever have a, someone try to mentor you in something and you had no clue? Right? And you're just like, oh, come on, man. I'll show you. I'll show you. And so we're, we're in this series on following Jesus. And what does that mean? And, and last week, in Luke 9, we looked at this passage. Right? Luke 9, 57. It says, as they were walking along the road, a man said to him, a man said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Right? And so we saw this last week. Here's a man who makes this wonderful declaration. Seems like on the surface an all-in declaration. And why doesn't Jesus just go, woohoo, let's go, come on, sign up. I got a lot of ministries for you to serve in. Jesus doesn't give him the application. He doesn't, you know, in fact, Jesus kind of like is a party pooper. He's like, you know, hey, Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. Right? I was a, as a pastor, I'd have been jumping up for joy. We got another one there, Billy Boy. And 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 Jesus, look what he says. Foxes have holes. Birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Probably not what he was expecting to hear. Probably not. And we looked at this at length last Sunday. And what was Jesus saying? Oh, okay, so you want to follow me to there. In your mind, you have these destinations. This was a teacher of the law, so he's used to traveling around. And he probably saw all the enthusiasm, the miracles of Jesus. And he's like, I want to get with that. Something's happening at that church. Let's go to that church. Hey, there's that speaker. Let's go to that speaker. And he was probably in the crowd mentality and in the moment of enthusiasm. says, hey, man, I want to go with you. I want to go with you. This is cool. This is happening. So in his mind, he was kind of destination oriented. But Jesus says, really? Well, let me bring some reality to you. Foxes have holes. Birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has no place to lay his, lay his head. He, he, he challenged the guy. He said, hey, I get your intention and I get what you're thinking. But let me give you this. If you follow me, it's going to be uncomfortable. If you follow me, you might be sleeping on a rock. In fact, we saw last week in the passage before that, they, had, they were wanting to go through Samaria, Samaria. Remember that? And the Samaritan said, nope. Can't sleep here tonight. Keep moving, buddy. And take your boys with you. So Jesus gives this guy a big reality check. Hey, thank, I, I hear what you're saying, but if you're going to follow me, what are you willing to leave? Are you really ready? Are you willing to follow me to discomfort? Are you really ready to follow me to persecution? Are you really ready to give up what you know to follow me? And that was a that was a pretty tough question last week because the, the title of the message was, "Well, what about there?" And we 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 made an application to all of us like. Oh, yeah, in, the, in a very broad sense. And again, not, not 
discounting our good intentions, our very broad intentions to be followers of Jesus. But what about when he reveals something and he says, but what about there? What about in your area of finances? What about in that area of forgiveness? What about in that area of priorities? What about there? Will you follow me there? Or is it still on your terms? Is it still on your terms? And, and this is the kind of the rubber meets the road part of, of following Jesus, right? And so today I wanted to kind of shift gears a little bit to kind of help us process this as, as all of us have been challenged over the last several weeks, and, and especially this last week. What about there? Because to be honest with you, I had this week several what about there moments. There were, there were some challenges that came up in my own life this week where, quite frankly, I was like, Jesus, this is not fun right now. Uh, it, it was like, a Jesus, this is not fun and I'm not having a good time right now. And I was reminded of my own message. It's crazy when you preach a message to yourself. You're like, right, that's wonderful. And so, so this question to me came up a few times this week. What about there? Because I shared with you at the end of, of service, you know, in our transformation, there, are, there, there can be seasons and layers. And, and sometimes what God does is he, you get to this place of maturity and some, he allows something to happen in your life. And you have an initial reaction, perhaps, of the old self. The old way of dealing with it, the old way of reacting to it, the old way of thinking about it, maybe even the old way of coming out your mouth. And and it's challenging when you think you're further along and God says, oh, watch this. Oh, my gosh, really? I thought I was over that. Not so much. Right. And so there were a few moments this week where situations came up and I and I just quite honestly reacted. I just felt myself getting anxious, found myself getting a little bit bugged. Honestly, you know, the old me started to, to sort of like want to handle it my way. And uh, I got an amen back there. <laughs> right? and, and I had to catch myself. I mean, honestly, what about there? And I'm like, and, and I can't even honestly this morning say I'm, 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 I've completely resolved it. I'm still in process. But the last several days, it's been a step of faith for me to, to, to do this and, and to have to go, okay, help me, Lord, to see this through your word. Help me to deal with this in your power. Uh, and, 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 you know, there's been a bit of a tug of war, a bit of, bit of a back and forth. In, in, in some areas this week for me because he's, he's asking me, well, what about there? What about there? Are you going to follow me there? And, and, and it's okay. It's okay. I, I've made peace with that's just part of transformation. I used to feel bad that, you know, I felt like it was a, 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 a black mark on my report card. Right? Anyone ever have report card anxiety? Right? And so, you know, sometimes... 
you feel like as a Christian, you have report card anxiety and, you know, what's God going to write in the comments? <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm like, oh, really? You know? And, and so, you know, but I've learned in transformation, he already knows anyway. And it's, it's a lifetime of process. And, and, and I've, I've made peace that his transformation begins with a revelation, which is humbling and, and difficult. To show me, mm, how about this? And and so I'm with you, and I get that. And and this morning I'm hoping that that we kind of turn the page. We can take a break from that passage. We'll come back to Luke nine next week. But I wanted to to kind of share with you what what has helped me in in sort of simplifying again, maybe even making it more simple. Not easy, but simplifying what it is to follow Jesus. So let's turn to Matthew nineteen. Matthew 19, starting verse 27. This particular conversation between Peter and Jesus happens after the rich young ruler. You remember that? We looked at that. After the rich young ruler came to Jesus, asked what he could do to inherit eternal life, Jesus says, sell everything and come follow me. And the rich young ruler walked away. Remember that passage, right? And, and so this conversation picks up after the rich young ruler left, okay? After the rich young ruler left. Matthew 19, verse 27. Peter answered him. Peter answered Jesus. We have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. At the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and many who are last will be first. Verse 27, right? Peter says to Jesus, We have left everything to follow you. And the truth was, they had. They had in Matthew 4, 18 through 20, when Jesus calls them, it says in Matthew 4, 20, at once they left their nets and followed him. They left their career. Okay, they answered the call. They followed him. In Luke 5, it's interesting, this was the calling of Levi who became Matthew, right? And it says in Luke 5, 28, Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. When Levi, who was a tax collector, got up and left to follow Jesus, here's what that meant. He lost his job. There was no going back to being a tax collector. Someone else would have filled that immediately. There was intense competition to be tax collectors because they made a whole lot of money. So when Peter says, we have left all to follow you, they had. They had. And then he asked this question. What then will there be for us? Now, it's kind of interesting, right? What then will there be for us? Kind of sounds pretty selfish. Kind of sounds pretty like, uh, hey, what's in it for me? We're going to get to that aspect, but let me, let me explain to you why it wasn't such an odd question, right? We, we looked at the Jewish educational system, right? 
So the, the early disciples, even though they were fishermen, they would have been well-trained in primary school in the first five books of the Bible, right? To help understand what Peter's asking and to give him a break and to, to, to see that he was really just asking something out of his upbringing, Deuteronomy 28 says this, If you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all his commands I give you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations on the earth. All these blessings will come upon you and accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. And then he gives a list of blessings. See, Peter understood he was raised in Deuteronomy 28. Obedience equals blessings. So we've got to give old Peter a break here. It wasn't necessarily completely self-serving. He was raised under the... Deuteronomy under the first five books to understand, well, if you obey God, he's going to bless you, right? The challenge with that for us today in our culture, in our very me-centered culture, is that when we ask that question, what then will there be for us? It's not about Deuteronomy 28. It's really about what's in it for me, Jesus. What's in it for me? The real challenging part is that the quote-unquote, some elements of the quote-unquote church perpetuate this, encourage this, teach this, the prosperity gospel, health, wealth. This is their mantra. This is what's in it for you. That's the whole core of their teaching. That's not what this is teaching. And they will actually twist in that, um, the verse down there, verse 29, where it says, uh, we'll receive a hundred times as much. Please do not take that as if you drop a hundred dollars in that one dollar today, that somehow a hundred dollars is going to show up under your couch. Not going to happen today. Could, but not based on the scripture. It could just be your friend left their wallet there. I don't know, but it's not based on the scripture. But they use this scripture. This very scripture is twisted to manipulate people to give because they're going to get something. Because they're going to get something. And if you're kind to Jesus and your core, at the core, you're asking, what's in it for me? Here's the truth. You're going to struggle with following him. My openness and my joy, everyone say joy, my joy in following Jesus is directly related to how much I think I should get out of it. I will joyfully follow Jesus as long as I'm feeling like I'm getting something in return. I will not so joyfully follow Jesus when I don't get what I think I'm supposed to be getting, or it's just not fun. So the question for us is, in your following of Jesus, is it that you're following Jesus? Or is it, well, what's in it for me? What do I get? What do I get? Right? And look what he says here. Jesus doesn't rebuke Peter. 
He's, he's going to say something very important, but he doesn't jump down Peter's throat. And I believe it's because he understands Deuteronomy 28, where Peter was coming from. Okay, so he's going to bring some correction here. Verse 28, Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. At the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on the glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on the twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. He's speaking directly to his, his boys. Okay, and he says, hey, in the millennial kingdom, you will have a special role of administering and all this. Okay, this is directly to them. Okay, so he says, no, you're going to do something. I haven't not noticed, Pete. Okay, and then he speaks broad. Then he changes. Verse 29, and everyone, everyone say everyone. If you're an everyone, put your hand up. You're an everyone, right? Everyone. Who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or field. Kind of goes back to those verses. We, we talked about all these times, right? Jesus says, if you want to come follow me, you got to leave everything. Hey, you got to love me more than your mother and your father. And your bro- Remember all those verses we looked about? Take up your cross. That's what he's saying. He's summarizing it. If you have given up everything to follow me. Look what he says. For my sake, we'll receive a hundred times as much and we'll inherit eternal life. A hundred times, it, again, it's not a literal, like don't try to calculate that. What he means figuratively is more than you can imagine. More than you can imagine, right? The same story happens, uh, is, is mentioned in Mark. He says this. No one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or field for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields. And with them, here's another thing he throws in. You know what you get? Persecutions. Turn the person next to you and say, I like that one. It's right there in Mark 10. See, everyone's all excited. I love how he builds it up, right? No one who has left home or brothers or sisters, right, will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Dude, this is, I love, I told you, this is the place to come. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields. What's he talking to? He's talking in, in a broad sense, if you leave all to follow me, you're now in the family of God. You're now in the family of God. Your, your biological family may not understand. Your biological family may not even like it. Your friends may not want to hang out with you anymore. But when you know me, he's saying, you now got a new family. You now have new provision. It's good. Amen? Right? Turn to the person next to you and say, he's talking about you. Right? When you... Leave all in terms of the worldly relationships and all that kind of stuff. You are placed into the family of God with all the new, wonderful relationships and all the provision that brings. Think of the early church. What did they do? They sold everything. Everyone was coming alongside and helping each other, right? They enjoyed koinonia, fellowship. It was a whole new world and a whole new way of providing in God's economy. Amen? It's God's economy. Right. And then again in Mark 10, he says, and with them, persecutions. Hmm. I'm not so sure about that one. And in the age to come, 
eternal life. Yeah, but what's in it for me? Right? And and I love I love Jesus cuz he's always been just so honest. He says, "Look, if you leave all to follow me, you put into the family of God, the, the church." Right? Now, with that's going to come some persecutions, but ultimately you have eternal life in the age to come. In a broad sense, Jesus is saying, "Don't worry about it." Don't worry about it. I got you. I got you. And you would think he would give this long list of everything to try to placate Peter and make him feel good about what he had left. No. He said, you know what? You got a new family. People aren't going to like you. You got persecutions, but you got eternal life. Don't worry about it. Just follow me. Just follow me. Right? And, And there's a phrase here which changes the whole nature of it. In Matthew, look in Matthew 19, verse 29. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children for my, or fields, and this is, this is what really struck me, for my sake. For my sake. In Mark 10, he says, for me and the gospel. Not for your sake. Not for what you get out of it. He says, if you've left everything for my sake. Radical change of perspective, isn't it? Has nothing to do with what I get out of it. I've left everything for Jesus' sake. And the gospel and the kingdom. If you've left Jesus, I mean, if you've left everything to follow Jesus... And walk in his will for the sake of the gospel and the kingdom. He's got you. It's all good. He'll take care of you. Our struggle is for whose sake? For whose sake is this? When you came today, right? You'll often, uh, if you come, you know, I love church. Amen. I, I love being here. This is a joy. But it's not for us. Ultimately, it's for him. Amen. It's for his sake that we gather. It's for his sake. We get the blessings. We get the blessings of worship, of, oh, yes, of, of donuts and all this. Kind. We reap the blessings, but our walk with Jesus is for his sake. For his sake. It's perspective. He's trying to, he's trying to get our perspective right. For whose sake? For whose sake, right? And in a broad sense, he's like, Pete, I got you. I got you. But you have to, we have to be honest this morning. For whose sake are we following Jesus? Because if we get this right, look what happens. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Look what happens. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. A tremendous example of what happens when our priorities and our focus is right. 2 Corinthians 8. The Apostle Paul has a desire to raise money to make a collection for the Christians in Jerusalem who were hurting. There's a big need for the Christians in Jerusalem. 
And so the churches, the believers in Macedonia, which is like northern part of Greece, they respond. And look at what happens. 2 Corinthians 8, starting in verse 1. And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. The Macedonian churches were going through a huge trial. The Romans had come in and taken most of their money. So they were going through this huge trial. They're in deep poverty. Okay? Deep poverty. They hear about this collection for the Jew, the Jerusalem Christians, and they respond in a way that even the Apostle Paul was flabbergasted. Even the Apostle Paul had one of those, are you kidding me? Because look what happens. 2 Corinthians 8, look what happens. Out of the most severe, verse 2, out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich, what? Generosity! So you would think, okay, you would think, I would think, I'm going through a huge trial. I'm broke. There's no way I could give. And now this Apostle Paul wants more money for the Christians in Jerusalem? I'm barely making it. That's what we would think in the flesh would be the fleshly reaction, right? But look how they react. I love this. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even what? Beyond their ability. What? And I love this last phrase in verse 3. Entirely on their own. The Apostle Paul did not have to come and guilt them into giving. He didn't lay this heavy trip on them. He didn't make them feel bad. He didn't shake them down. He didn't put a thermometer up. He didn't do all this kind of stuff. It says they did it entirely on their own. And then look, verse 4, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this servants to the saints. What? They're going through a huge trial. They're in deep poverty. And entirely on their own, without a church leader, pastor hammering them, they're like, oh, come on, Paul. Please let us give. Please, please, please. We, we just want to participate in this giving. That's cray-cray. That's crazy. Entirely on their own, they're in huge trial, they're in poverty, and they're pleading with Paul to give. To give. You don't find that much in church handbooks these days. Right? Because we think in the church to raise money for things, we have to, you know, give you something. We have to give you something. Well, you know, and take this the right way, right? 
we, we have to like let you put your name on something for $10,000. You know, the, the burr stool, you know, and, and, and it's weird. The church bought into, has bought into this, this mentality of, well, we got to give them something tangible in order to get them to give. It's this slippery slope and it never ends. And I love this because here's a church in deep trial, in deep poverty, on their own, pleading to give. Right? And then why? What was the genesis of this? Verse 5. And they did not do as we expected. I love Paul's honesty. Well, I guess we were wrong on that one. They had kind of written off the Macedonian churches as not able to do much. Let's just, ex- let's just excuse them from this round. Right? They were expecting circumstantially that the Macedonian churches weren't going to be able to do much, if anything. But they gave themselves what? First. You're comfortable writing or underlining or whatever you got. That's the key. They gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with what? God's will. You see, when they gave themselves first to the Lord, the obedience to God's will followed with joy. With joy. They didn't have to be browbeat. They didn't have to be guilted. They didn't have to be manipulated. They gave themselves first to the Lord and then their obedience to God's will followed. And it was such a huge testimony that it made it into the book. Think about that. It made it in the book. And in 2017, we're still reading about what they did. That's pretty cool. This poverty-stricken church that was going through a huge trial sought the Lord first and then joyfully obeyed His will. Because they weren't in it for them. They weren't in it for them. Their first priority was the first commandment. Love the Lord with your whole being. And when you love the Lord with your whole being, here's the thing. You can't help but love other people. Because that's His will. You see how we get it flipped? We get it flipped. Even in wanting to minister and serve and do all this good stuff. Sometimes that becomes a beast of burden and drudgery and duty because we're not first loving the Lord. Why do we go to Triple C? Because we love God. Why do we go to the garden? Because we love God. If you love God, the second commandment will flow. Love your neighbor as yourself. It just happens. Because that's Him. Amen? What does He say? I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. If I love Him first, if I seek Him first, if I yield to Him first, Him living in me is just going to manifest itself. It's just going to manifest itself. And why is this important? Because God has blessed us with the wonderful opportunity whenever we get to 1290 East Grand. And if we're not careful, we're going to go there with a what's in it for me heart. 
And if we go there with the what's in it for me and what am I going to get out of it and how is this place going to meet my needs, we've already we've already blown it. We've already blown it. When we go there, who we are is who we are as followers of Jesus already. Amen? We go there with who we are. Just be you. Just be you. It doesn't matter if we're here. It doesn't matter if we're there. It doesn't... Just be you. But the challenge is, for whose sake are you following Jesus this morning? For whose sake? For whose sake? Right? Jesus says, come, leave everything. Just follow me for my sake. Right? Here's the crazy thing. If you give your whole self to Jesus, is there anything left to give? If you give your whole self to Jesus, is there anything left to give? Or was it included in the whole self? It was included in the whole self. So the real question is, for whose sake? And have you given your whole self? Your whole self. See, I find myself struggling sometimes when I have the what about here moments and, and God challenging me with what well, did. And, 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 and truthfully, what's my struggle? Oh, you want that too? You want that too? I'm supposed to give that? And what's the answer? Well, I thought you gave me your whole self. I thought you gave me everything. Right? So for whose sake are we following Jesus? And have you given your whole self? Because if you've given your whole self, it simplifies giving your time, your money, your resources, your time, your talents, everything else. Because that was included in the whole. Amen? You see it? It's when we go back to the negotiating well, how about we do 60-40 split? Right? I'll be there Sunday. I'll be there Sunday. Wednesday, I can't do it this week, but you got me next Wednesday, Jesus. Right? And I'll come help you. I'll come help you here. Right? We, it's when we, when we are not fully yielded and fully surrendered and giving ourselves. Then we, If you want to know if you're struggling, ask yourself if you're negotiating. If you're negotiating something, Okay, for whose sake? For whose sake and, and have you given yourself? It's just meant to be a revelation. It's not condemnation. Take it the right way. This is transformation for all of us. Don't leave here going, oh man, that's a really bad... No. If God has shown you an area in your life this morning where you're negotiating, ask next question. Why are you negotiating? That's all. Work through that. Work through it. It's Okay. If, you, if he's identifying an area where you're negotiating and maybe you were at 50-50 and now it's moved a little bit to 60-40, praise the Lord it's 60-40 in his favor. Hang in there because it may move a little bit more. Hang in there. Hang in there. If he's just revealing your negotiating mode in some area, praise the Lord that he revealed that. Amen. Just praise the Lord for that revelation. It's okay to have that revelation. I had. That's my wife. I still have them. 
right? She knows when the old me rears its head and, and I'm in negotiating with Jesus how to respond. Oh, really? You know? <laughs> I was in a bad mood. Transparency. I wasn't in the best of moods this week. See, and praise God for someone who will speak the truth. I wasn't in the best of moods this week. And I was doing a lot, a lot happening, a lot on my mind. And I had a project to do in my house. And so she came home from work. I'm like, you want to go to Lowe's? <laughs> she didn't answer. I'm like, no, seriously, do you want to go? Let's go. I got to go. She just... <laughs> Right? And then finally I asked her like one more time. You, you, you want to go? Come on, let's go. Come on, come on, come on. Let's go. Let's go. Let's spend time together. Let's have quality time. Come on, get in the car. <laughs> and finally she says to me, not if you're going to be mean to me. I had a rough day at work. I don't need you to be mean to me on the way to Lowe's to spend quality time. And it was a great check because I had to humble myself and say, Lord, what's going on? Because I was reacting in my own self. And somehow I felt vindicated to be in a bad mood because of everything I was dealing with. Somehow I felt it was okay to be snappy and short. And you remember Tarzan? If you remember the, the animated Tarzan, you remember the animated Tarzan when it first came out, that big gorilla named Kerchak? He was like, ah, right. That's the nickname my kids gave me. <laughs> Way back. So it's like, they know, right? Let's just be real. It's like, oh, Karchak's here. The house gets all quiet. Is Karchak still here? Did he go to work? Did he go to the office? But that's an area, honestly, of negotiation. It's, it's like, I, I knew I was in a bad mood. I wasn't you know, the most friendliest person because I just had a lot. But in my mind, the old self would rationalize that, justify that. Right? Until she calls me on it in a sweet way. No, I'm being mean to me. I'm like, <laughs> but, but even that, that kind of area, God really said, see, this is an area, Richie, forget pastor, but this is an area where where somehow you still, you still justify this and you're still negotiating with me on this. You're still, you're still, oh, it's still 50-50. I'm, I'm good 50% of the time. You know, because I was really in the flesh in that moment. Just a lot happening and I was just, let's be honest, choosing to be Kerchak. It was just a choice I made. And, and God's loving way, he called me out on it. And, and, it's tough right now. I mean, I, I feel pretty good when Kerchak comes around. In a sense, I, that's just what I know and gets things done. And it motivates, you know, uh, there's a part of me that uh, I go there and, and it's this twisted way of motivating and getting stuff done. And Yeah, I know. It's wacky, huh, Ernie, right? <laughs> there's a, a couple stories I just, I just want to share with you some missionaries right and and the heart of this today guys is when we abandon ourselves to jesus it's not for anything it's for him 
When we abandon ourselves to following Jesus, it's because we want to follow Jesus. It's personal. We don't abandon ourselves as a follower of Jesus for what we're going to get out of it. If you do that, you just made it into a commercial transaction. You just, you just commercialize it and it became a contract. If you're going to abandon yourself to follow Jesus, there's no strings attached. You just follow Jesus for his sake. It's personal. You just follow Jesus, right? There's a story of Hudson Taylor, the great 19th century missionary to China, when looking back on his life, used to say, quote, I never made a sacrifice. By earthly standards, this was patently untrue. He left his safe, secure home in Yorkshire. He sacrificed his career as a doctor. He spent every penny he ever had on reaching the lost. He saw his daughter die in China. He saw his first wife die in China. He sacrificed his own health, all for the sake of the gospel. Yet still he could say, I never made a sacrifice. For, as his son puts it, the compensations were so real and lasting that he came to see that giving up is inevitably receiving. When one is dealing heart to heart with God, the sacrifice was great, but the reward far greater. Powerful, right? Think about that. When it comes to following Jesus for his sake, and then all of a sudden, well, that's a big sacrifice. That's a big sacrifice. And Jesus is like, don't worry about it. I got you covered. That was his answer to Peter. I got you covered, right? David Livingston, another missionary to Africa in the 1800s. For my own part, I have never ceased to rejoice that God has appointed me to such an office. People talk of the sacrifice I have made in spending so much of my life in Africa. Is that a sacrifice which brings its own blessed reward in healthful activity, the consciousness of doing good, peace of mind, and a bright and hope of a glorious destiny hereafter? Say rather, it is a privilege. Anxiety, sickness, suffering, or danger, now and then, with a foregoing of the common conveniences and charities of their life, may make us pause and cause the spirit to waver and the soul to sink. But let this only be for a moment. All these are as nothing when compared with the glory which shall be revealed in and for us. I never made a sacrifice. He called it a privilege. He called it a privilege. And I put in your notes there, I love this quote, C.T. Studd, stick in there. If Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. No sacrifice could be too great for C.T. Stead because the Lord already had his heart. See, that's just like the churches in Macedonia. They sought the Lord first and the Lord already had their heart. So giving, joyfully pleading to be a part of that, that wasn't the issue. It was already a settled issue because the Lord already had their heart. The Lord already had their heart. C.T. Stead, if Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up and we're going to sing a song before communion. And I just want to encourage us this morning. As followers of Jesus, maybe today the question is, 
For whose sake? For whose sake? It's maybe not all or nothing. You know, there's, we're, all, we're all at different places. But maybe today the question, the honest question is, Lord, Jesus, am I following you for you? Or are my struggles rooted in what's in it for me? What's in it for me? And I'm trying to negotiate those areas out. So let's pray together. We'll sing a song that really speaks to his love and our response. And then we'll take communion. Lord, thank you. Thank you that when Peter asked, what then is there for us? You corrected him and said, well, if you leave for me and you leave for me in the gospel, I got you. It's all taken care of. It's all taken care of now and for eternity. It's taken care of, Peter. The real question is, what's the motive? Are we following you, Jesus, simply for you, Jesus? Or are we following you for what we can get out of you or the church? We're reminded of that quote by C.T. Studd, Jesus, if you sacrificed everything on the cross, which you did, there's no sacrifice on this planet. It's too great for you. So as we sing this song about your love and our response to your love in preparation for communion, may it be a time of prayer, of, of reflection, and even of, of honesty in those areas where we're negotiating. We're still wanting to follow you on our terms. We're still wanting you to do something for us, Jesus. Maybe during this song we open our hands and surrender and yield in these areas to you. Lord, thank you for what you did for us. We yield and we submit, understanding that you gave your all. In the garden, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. It was an all-in moment in following your Father's will. And that is what you ask of us, an all-in. And so we are transparent before you. There is nothing hidden from your sight. We confess the areas of negotiation. We confess the areas where our motives are not really about you, but they're about us. We thank you for the example of the Macedonian churches who out of their trial and out of their deep poverty sought God first and then joyfully submitted to His will as a testament. And so as we have this time of communion, as we hold the cups as a reminder that you gave your all. May you just speak truth to us this morning. You love us dearly. You do. In those areas of struggle, we confess, we admit, and this day we submit and desire you truly, Jesus, to be the one we follow simply because you're the one we follow. So we distribute the communion cups and once everyone's been served, we'll take communion together. Lord, thank you.
<coughs> Thank you for this opportunity. As we hold these cups in our hands, it's sim- symbolic reminders of what you did for us and reminded again of your sacrifice at Calvary. And, and Lord, really puts in perspective the, the things that we would call sacrifices on, on this planet, Lord. So we yield, we submit, Jesus, we, we take this communion in remembrance of you. Forgive us for our sins and shortcomings. Enable us, Lord, to leave here with this, that newness of life, that freshness, the power of the Holy Spirit. To say, yes, Lord, it is my desire to follow you, to trust you, to yield, simply for who you are. Simply for who you are. So I want to be a follower of Jesus. Amen. Let's come take communion. It's a word of encouragement to you. Okay? Everyone go. Okay. Now turn to the first thing and say, it's okay. okay. We're all a work in progress. Go ahead, say, we're all a work in progress. We're all a work in progress. Amen. But here's the great thing. Here's the great thing. The testimony for us as followers of Jesus is in the progress we're making, not in the perfection. Amen. It's when you leave here and the people that you will come in contact with the rest of the day see your progress. See the Lord working through you little by little, incrementally. That's the testimony. Amen? 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 So let's stand together. Let's sing a wonderful song called Cornerstone. Let's, let's just sing it with our heart, a conviction that Jesus is the cornerstone and that we are following Him simply for who He is.